Welcome to Inside Page to Stage, or IPS. I'm Jerome Harmon Hardiman, and I'm your host. Today we're speaking with Belin Moyano. She played Rebecca Van Winkle in the most recent production of Impossible But True. Sit back and let's go inside the page to the stage. Hey, Belin. Hello. How you doing? It's all good. I'm glad to hear it. Let me give you a quick rundown on some of this young actress's accomplishments. She's already played Jokovic in The Prince of Egypt, Kola in Disney's Tarzan. She was understudy to Danny, Carl, and Camilla in The Heights. She played Florica in The Hunchback of Notre Dame and Helena and Janet in The Mystery of Edwin Drood. Mary Martin of Tours in Sister Act, Crystal in Little Shop of Horrors, and Mrs. Santiago in Ghost. You can learn more about her at BelinMoyano.com. I had the pleasure of Zoom conferencing with her in order to discuss the role of Rebecca Van Winkle, she played opposite Rob Langeter, who played Rip Van Winkle, and Dan Furman's Impossible But True. Baylin, it's great to Zoom with you today. Wait, I'm going to turn my air off so that my sound is even better, and then I'll just sweat through the interview. I know, it's going to be a good time. It's all good. Better than breakfast in bed, better than touching a fresh shaved head. Okay, we're back. Where do you see the, the business going right now during the pandemic? We're all home. Theaters aren't projected to open again, in, at least in New York City, until the spring of 2021, if then. I mean, maybe things have changed now. But until then, or until a vaccine comes along, where do you see the business going? That's a great question. Um, you know, I'm hopeful that the industry will change in such a way where we will highlight more stories than we have in the past that around different diverse communities, I don't know. We might see more women in theater. So now that we're talking about Rebecca potentially or in Dan's mind being the protagonist, you know, seeing more stories that are female led in that regard. That's what I'm hopeful for. I'm hopeful that out of the ashes, something beautiful will be reborn and theater will become not only a, it will not only be seen as a means of entertainment, but as a tool for advocacy, as a tool for education, uh, for reaching communities and empowering them to to stand up to participate in their civil duties you know whatever whatever that might look like i'm hopeful in that regard you know i'm just hoping that something good comes out of all of this i like that idea of hope for the future keeping that idea of a strong hopeful protagonist who is a female how do you relate or how did you relate to the role of rebecca uh, I think she added to the canon of strong women that I've had the the pleasure of portraying on stage in, I guess, the pub is a stage, so on the stage. I related to her in that, well, I have a husband. He tends to be stubborn at times. Um, so finding ways to like, healthy ways to communicate with one another, you know, she struggled with that, I've struggled with that. Utilizing your anger in a way that is beneficial. So not just in setting fires and uh, speaking your mind, but in uh, using it as a catalyst to create change. I think she's such a great example of that. And then um, the tidbits throughout the show where it talks about how how she was involved when, when the British came to town, how what she did, you know, to support the soldiers and the people in her in in her small town as well. Uh, she inspires me in that way, and I hope that I can do likewise. 
Um, but yeah, I feel like I relate to her in an emotional level where <laughs> you want things to go a certain way and they don't often go that way. And so how do you deal with that? And then how do you deal with heartbreak? How do you deal with, you know, someone's disappearance, especially when in society you were known as that person's wife and you didn't have, I don't know, a, a right to property or um, a right really to speak without your husband, how that shift might've been for her. I felt that on a personal level in regards to, I, I'm an immigrant. I came to the States when I was a child, uh, feeling like there are forces beyond your control that uh, keep you from speaking your truth and, uh, and living the life that you want to live. I don't know, but her perseverance and just overcoming it and then finding forgiveness amidst it all. I mean, I hope to do that. Beautifully put. Going further in that direction, how did the music support what you found or were looking for or were able to relate to in that character? Did you find that they offered you the space that allowed the audience to perceive the character's conflicts and the character's emotions? All of the building blocks that, that went into the making of and performing of Rebecca. Well, I think Dan is brilliant. Um, I've told him this in the past where I got to, we, let me start that again. Dan and I met while doing another one of his shows called Ybor City two, three years ago now. And at the audition for that, I, I didn't know that Dan was the composer and he was the pianist for that audition. And the person running the audition was the director. And she said, what interests you about this project? And I said, you know, I saw the listing on backstage, I think, and it had a website attached to it. So I went and listened to the music of the show and I was so intrigued. I loved the rhythms. I really loved the way that, that especially Cuban culture was approached. And I didn't know that Dan actually had written the music. So Dan's like, oh, well, I wrote the music. And I was like, I'm a fan. Like, even if I don't get cast in the show, I think I told him at that audition, I want to continue following your work. I was cast in that show, which was a huge blessing and so much fun to work with such great people. So then when I was brought on for Impossible But True, he sent me a couple demos. Uh, and I feel like I glossed over them, but because I trusted him, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, 100%, definitely do it. And then amidst rehearsals and as we were working on, on the songs, I was, I was moved. I think Dan's writing is very intricate. I mean, I really enjoy his style especially the way he can make something sound so full with just the piano. I think that was the most impressive within that space that he was, you know, in a little attic above us on a little keyboard. And yet I always felt supported and I had everything I needed to be able to sing and or express myself in the way I needed to. In regards to the lyrics, I think of the bread song and... <laughs> I struggled <laughs> learning the bread song. <laughs> and even till last performance, I don't know if you remember Jerome, but uh, I, I could not get the bit at the beginning where it's like, we milk the cow. We the I even drew it out for myself. Like I had this sheet that I looked at before every show because I struggled so much with just that one tidbit where I like, I drew milking a cow. I drew threshing wheat. I drew working with dough. Like, and I just still could not get it. So kudos to him. Something that pushed my mind. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't think 
Hmm, I haven't thought of it in a, in a critical way because I still am a huge fan of Dan's work. He can do no wrong, but can he? I don't know. Great. I have a question then. First, I'll make a comment. I spoke to Carly. We spoke about the show and I, I interviewed her. And she told me that her favorite song was Doe. And I, I thought, well, why? And she said, because it's such an active song. It's, it's got a great melody but it's active. And what you're talking about was uh, an obstacle or was something to figure out for her was the, the greatest thing in the world, thrashing the weed and pounding the dough. She says she sings it all the time. Okay, now what was the question? Uh... Dan can do no wrong. Dan can do no wrong. Oh, no, I know what it is. Um, I spoke to Dan and Dan said when he was composing the show, he used a lot of the influence from when he worked with cumbia bands. Hmm. Now, where are you from originally? I'm from Argentina. Okay. I don't know anything about cumbia. But in the interview, he, he played some cumbia. And I thought, oh, okay, in the background, I can hear cumbia. I'm wondering if you detected uh, any of the cumbia backbeats in the music. Within the... The show itself. I mean, I sang most of, besides Doe, I sang all the ballads I felt like. I was like, oh, another ballad. Here we go, which is great because I, I love singing ballads. And my husband's a composer as well, and he hates writing ballads. So we never do ballads at home. It's like his thing. He's like, I, just, <laughs> like, no. I think it's only in the group numbers. But um, yeah, I was just wondering if you noticed it. Oh, fascinating. Yeah, I had no idea, but evidently it's right there. So tell me, what's difficult about performing in a pub? Ooh. Oh, I'm interested to hear what everybody else said, too, um, in that regard. You know, uh, I think the most difficult part was uh, really not having a space where you could decompress. Even if you were off in the quote-unquote wings, or like I had a, a small tiny corner by the door, there were still 10 people around me and you, you just couldn't check out, which I think is a blessing and a curse. Like how cool that you are fully immersed in this experience, but also difficult when, I don't know, when you have beats to, to meet. Like for example, I remember towards the end of the show, I leave your character, right? And I walk away and I try to go find. <laughs> <laughs> but I literally had to walk to the corner turn around and then come back into the scene with a different person. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I have to get really, really imaginative in the way I approach the situation. Like, okay, I'm running off. And in this split second, right before I turn around, like I already have to know exactly where I'm at. And um, I have to know what I felt during like my long hour long journey, because I didn't have an hour and I have no privacy here. So like, let's figure this out. I would say that that was the, the that was the most difficult part. Also, because the bathroom, like if you needed to go to the bathroom, it had to be discreetly, and like there were also still people in the hallway. And how do you how do you handle that? Um, yeah. But despite all of those obstacles, did you find anything that you enjoyed, or an obstacle that helped you grow in that environment? Well, I've never really done divisive theater in that I. I studied music. Um, my background is mostly musical theater. And so I, I did take theater classes in college and uh, ended up almost getting a minor. The, the one class I had left was theater history. 
which is a shame. Uh, but anyway, that doesn't matter. Moving on from that point. Um, but I'd, I'd watched my friends, you know, work in places like the round or like when you go to sleep no more, things like that, uh, where as an audience member, you live to be involved in the drama. But then I never really put myself in the shoes of the performer. Like, what is that like dealing with different kinds of people every single night and their experiences and, and their, you know, whatever they decide to comment on or how do they decide to participate within the show? Yeah, I think, wait, what was her question? I think I lost the question. Yeah, I asked about the positive takeaways from performing in that kind of environment. Yeah, I... I, I've personally never had that, that close connection with audience members. And so I consider that a positive experience and kind of like maybe a stepping stone or a, or a milestone in some way uh, of my career as an actor to get to experience that type of immersive play. Like it really was play and you got to play differently every single night because there were different characters in your show. That's right. I mean, your your performance can be based on anything that the audience does. I mean, you're it's so interactive when you're doing a full book musical in a bar. For anyone who loves the fourth wall or not directly addressing the audience, this is quite a daunting experience. But at the same time, you know, those obstacles are also what really helps you grow as an artist. If you had reservations about doing this kind of almost one-to-one or cabaret kind of experience where you're in, or even stand-up comedy, where you're in, in a direct relationship with the audience, then this is, this is truly a, a growth experience. It's a journey. It's a... Yeah, it's a, it's a journey. What did you think about the direction and um, Kayleen's use of farce, the Comédie de l'Arte, and uh, some of the salt techniques from the French theater? I enjoyed it. I enjoyed working with Colleen. I'm interested to see what it's like to work with her in not a divisive way, I guess. If, if it was within the fourth wall, like putting on a play with a proscenium. Um, but I, I really loved her incorporation of instrumentation, of sound effects, the minimalist aspect that we approached everything in really helped keep it in the, both within the, the context of the play itself and, and the story but also created a, a visual and like an auditory experience for the audience to truly feel immersed in the experience. Because it's like many of the people who came to see us actually came for a drink. They didn't even know the show was happening, a good number of them. And the fact that they decided to stay and many of them afterwards would come up and be like, you know, I never had this experience before. Like, I really love this and the bell and, you know, getting to create in a space that, at first doesn't give you a lot, but by adding those small items or uh, those small concepts that Colleen added, I just really enjoyed that. So loved, yeah, I loved her direction. Let me ask you this. If you were the casting director, and I'm really gonna put you on the spot here. Please. What would you be looking for in the actors now knowing what the piece is? That's a great question. Um, well, because it's a musical, you know, ask them for their 32 bars. And then uh, maybe it's a, it's a means to play a game. So you make it clear by telling the monitor, like, you will be asked to play games with casting. 
uh, by switching up the song. So then giving them some weird direction of like, now, let's say, I don't know, their song was uh, Take Me or Leave Me from Rent. Okay, cool. I don't know who, who, who will put that as the example, I guess. And then you tell them, okay, well, this song is about talking to your lover and asking them to, to stay with you or like to leave you, whatever. Change it up. And now I want to see you, I don't know, I want you to be a fish and you're telling the person at the market to take your leave. It was something so random where then you get to get a sense of play um, from, care, from people. I just think it's hard for people who take themselves too seriously. Yeah. To, you know, feel, uh, feel like they, they have that, that freedom to play and make a fool of themselves. But like how many times within the, even the performances itself where I would do something and I was like, that was so dumb, but it worked. Like, so-and-so laughed at whatever side joke I just made. It worked, you know? Um, I think that's what I'd do. I don't know. What would you do, Jerome? I love the idea of playing a game. I would probably start with something very similar. Well, we're asking them to be able to switch places with the characters. So instead of being the fisherman, you're the fish, and you're the fish explaining to the fisherman why they should take you or leave you or to the customer. I would probably just give them a scene and say, okay, now these are the words, but right now you're the lover and then you're the frog and then you're a policeman or a policewoman. Now you're the nurse. Same words in the script, but as I give you the cue, you switch to how you believe that person or that animal would deliver those lines right then. I wouldn't do it with a song because songs are so easy to mask your inhibitions behind. You sing the high note and... You can, you can fake ecstasy or you can drop your, drop your voice and then, you know, your soul tree. And I'm probably projecting here to things that I've done in my own auditions, but I've just seen so many people with spectacular audition technique. But when you get them in a situation like this, where there are elements of farce and committee of the art and, and all kinds of other theatrical conventions or inventions, they, they become defensive. What happened to everything else? Yeah, if you come with the belief that there's some distance between you and the audience, then you're, you're going to be in for a rough time. And I don't know how to prepare you for that, but I would try in the audition because, as you said before, you, you, know, you, you improvise a line and, and the little side comment that you make gets a laugh and you say, oh, that works. Because the audience is literally right there. But the other side of that same coin is when something happens in the audience, yeah, it throws you off. We had the football games playing in the background. Oh, yes. The TV is on. Someone drops a drink. Someone walks directly in front of you while you're saying your most poignant line. You gotta be elastic, I guess. But finally, my final question is, what makes this show worth seeing, in your opinion? I think this is a good question. And it sounds simple, yet it feels complex in my mind. I mean, the thing I love the most every night, besides it being... Like, regardless of how many times you come to see the show, you will see something different uh, because of its inception, because of the setting. Um, the show itself has so much heart. And I think that concept of forgiveness at the end is, is big. We're going to just talk about briefly about, you know, Hamilton on Disney Plus. You know, we've all now gotten to see Hamilton, which is amazing. Um, but now that I, I get to watch it over and over again, that concept of forgiveness continues to come back. And I love that Dan was like, 
Yes, um, Rebecca is the is the protagonist, and she is the narrator. And at the end of Hamilton, you realize that like Eliza is the protagonist and is the narrator. She's the one who lives, who dies, who tells your story. And I think this show has has that going on for those who have seen Hamilton and want to see something like it. Not only is it about you know revolutionaries and some of the experiences that they had, but it's about the humanity behind it all and how. I guess sometimes we look at the past and we like to glorify it and how a lot of our past has things that we have to overcome and that's okay. And that's what makes us human and that's what gives us greater perspective. So I would say people should go see the show because it will move you. It will keep your foot tapping. And I guess you'll be a little more drunk if you choose to drink. <laughs> If we're inviting people to that, now that they're listening to it on a radio, in a radio way, like, I guess what keeps people listening is, is the humanity behind it all. <laughs> yes. So you can drink at all those moments, you know, when we're like, oh, now take another drink. Make it a game. I mean, I don't drink, so whatever. Who wants to do it? Yeah, there you go. And I'd rather <laughs> spend my calories elsewhere, so. All right, then. C'est la vie, c'est la guerre. Okay, it was so good to touch base with you. You too. That was really fun. I'm glad we had a chance to do this. Mm. How's your husband's work going? Is he composing while you're home and uh, sequestered? He is. Um, he's actually, so he's working on a radio musical, but it is the, like, it's never been done before, and it's, it's approached as a radio musical. So there's a narrator, um, yeah, and it's episodic. And that's our interview with Ms. Balen Moyano. Thanks again to Baylin. You can learn more about her at BaylinMoyano.com. Coming in the upcoming weeks is more from Dan Furman's Impossible But True, and more cast interviews, including Rip himself, Mac Award winner Rob Langeter. We talk with the two Huberts, performer and producer Mark Montague, and actor Len Rella, two Ripias, Carly Preso and Julia Yule, our intrepid pub stage manager Elizabeth Strauss, and our Rebecca Van Winkle from the recording, Daniel Aaron Rhodes as well as Dame Rachel Van Vetter, Stephanie Lynn Mason, who is hot off of Broadway's 2020 revival of Fiddler on the Roof, currently, like the rest of Broadway, on lockdown. So, see you next time. Until then, I am Jerome Harmon Hardiman, and this is IPS, Inside Page to Stage. Thanks, as always, to our wonderful musicians, David Shenton on piano and Mark Wade on bass. And good night. I like you better than leaves in the fall. I like you better than getting flowers for absolutely no reason at all. Better than breakfast in bed. Better than touching a fresh shaved head. Better than.